You're listening to the podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a church in Gloucester, England. And good day to you. This is Tim Dalton from Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church. And uh, today I want to do an overview of Genesis chapters 1 to 11. We went through these chapters um, earlier on this year and on Sunday mornings. And I wanted just to get an overview in the, in the can for us so that when we come to Genesis 12 onwards and we pick up the series, we'll be able to um, go back and um, look at what we've learned and also if people are jumping on with us um, for the first time missed the sermons and not been with us they might get a quick catch up so um, i'm aiming to do a, an overview of 1 to 11 <clears throat> and in hopefully less than 20 minutes we'll see how we go so uh, genesis 1 to 11 gives us a, a universal history of our world it's the history which we share in common um, by the time you get to um, Genesis 12, you have Abraham and lots of nations. It's Abram, uh, Abraham amongst the nations. And the story follows Abraham and his descendants, the nation of Israel. Um, but so from 12 onwards in Genesis, you have Israel among the nations, um, all with the different religions and different gods and different ways of worshipping. But Genesis 1 to 11 gives us a universal history of our world. So anyone out there, uh, anyone we meet, on the planet. This is our common history. So postmodernism is suspicious of meta-narratives, but we should be suspicious of postmodernism. This is God's meta-narrative, Genesis 1 to 11, and our universal history. And this is all very, obviously very different from our, the secular humanist narrative, that we're just a product of time and chance and matter. Um, but since the secular order seems to be crumbling apart, it seems to be a good time for us to return to the sure foundation of God's word, so what I'm going to do, I'm just going to track the main line through these chapters. Uh, most of the time we'll spend chapters one through three and then uh, rattle through the rest by means of a catch up. So chapter one, we have the creation of all things by God's word of power. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is creating by his word of command created the world and, and then it was uh, there was he created stuff and matter and it's formless and void it was tohu va bohu uh, and we have in chapter one ten words of creation ten times we hear and god said and god said and god said and god said just as there are ten commandments there are ten words of creation god creates all things by his powerful world and in the powerful word and in the beginning he created uh, out of nothing he created from nothing and then in this chapter, we find God ordering and creating by his word of command. He, the Lord separates and divides. He, he separates light from dark. He separates the, the waters above from the waters below. He separates the seas from the dry ground. And we find the Lord naming things that the light equals day and the darkness night and the dry ground he names land. So the Lord orders and shapes his creation like a workman, a craftsman. And on day six, God creates man in his own image. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. He was to have dominion over the creatures. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. 
male and female, he created them. So we're to have day and night, land and sea, and now male and female. So the Lord creates man in his image, male and female. We are made in God's image. Uh, we're made to be like God, made to serve God, made to know God. We are uh, sub-creators, created in our original estate in knowledge, righteousness and holiness. That is our original condition. And our first parents were, were given a task, verse 28, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion, dominion over the creatures. So uh, blessing here is uh, connected with the idea of things being fruitful and abundant and increasing and multiplying on the earth. And dominion in these early chapters for, for um, Adam and Eve see, means producing food for the creation and we'll go on to mean exploring and developing the, the God's creation. So there is in this chapter one also this divine word of evaluation. There is a, a sevenfold evaluation that the created order was good. Um, we read it was good, 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 it was very good. There's a sevenfold pronouncement with a very good coming at the creation of a man and woman in his image. So the created order is good. And this is a polemic against various ancient mythologies where creation occurs as a result of chaos or darkness or the gods fighting one another and that sort of thing or evil being caught up in creation itself. No, we're told the creation is good. So that is Genesis chapter one. Creation is distinct from the creator and it is good. Uh, we have this grand foundation, grand foundation and great design. And then in chapters two and three of Genesis, Moses moves to concentrate on the Garden of Eden, this garden temple, garden sanctuary, this meeting place between the Lord and the image bearers that he has created. So we move to the garden, chapter two. And in 2.15, we find the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to, to serve it, to, to cultivate the ground and to keep it, to, to guard it, just as the priests would later serve in the temple and keep the temple sanctuary. So man is tasked to serve and keep the garden. There's many connections between this Garden of Eden and the, the temple sanctuary and the tabernacle, which we see later on in, in the Pentateuch and later on in, in the scriptures. And so uh, verse 16, we have the Lord commanded the man. We have this uh, strong command, command of the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Uh, Adam has given the, the whole of the garden to eat for food. But there's this one prohibition, which is to attach this severe penalty, this penalty of death. And this is so that Adam might grow in, in maturity and trust and obedience uh, before the Lord, his God. And then we uh, read in verse 18, we have we move on to the, the creation of the woman from man. Um, we find that, that the Lord said it is not good that the man should be alone. We find something uh, in the creation is not good for the first time. I'll make a helper fit for him. He's given the woman as a strong ally. And the word help here is actually related to the Hebrew word for strength. There is this strong ally. And Adam cannot fulfill his task of filling the world and having dominion over the creation on his own. He cannot fill the world on, him, on his own. And then we find Adam naming the animals. Um, and all this sort of section increases the tension for, for finally the introduction of the woman. And there's this great poetic outburst. The first words of Adam are a love, uh, love poem for the woman. And the woman is taken out of man and separated from the man to be reunited to the man into one flesh with uh, the man. So here we have the foundation for marriage.
Verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. So that is the, the setup of the creation and the setup in the garden. But then chapter three, we have the narrative of the fall as we learn of our fall from our happy estate into sin and misery. We find there is a serpent in the garden. There is a, an evil opponent in the form of something God has made. Now, what is going on here? And we're not told at this point the backstory, which is of the fall of the principalities and the powers of spiritual beings. Uh, we have, but we have here Satan and work in and through this beast in the garden, this serpent. Now, Adam's task and calling was to, part of it was to guard the garden. His task would have been to drive out the serpent from the garden. But it was a task which Adam manifestly fails to do. Uh, the serpent tempts Eve. We have the temptation of Eve, which is all based around doubting God's word and doubting God's goodness. Eve takes and um, with the lust of her eyes and desire for wisdom, she takes and uh, eats and gives it to her husband. Her husband, who had been the one who actually had received the command of this prohibition, but he took and ate. And we have Adam's act of disobedience. He disobeys and he disobeys as the representative and covenant head of the whole human race. So moving on in chapter three, we have the judgment scene, this great judgment scene where the Lord brings his judicial sentence first against the serpent, then against the woman and then against the man. And with the serpent, we find that the Lord will establish enmity, a struggle, a fight between the, the seed of the woman, the offspring of the woman and the seed of the serpent, the spiritual offspring of, of Satan, ultimately. And this is the, the beginning of the great struggle that we find running through the whole Bible, the antithesis between uh, good and evil. But also here we have the, the first gospel, the first announcement of the gospel, the proto-evangelium that uh, we read or where God says that the, the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. Um, but that you, the serpent, would bruise his heel. This is the first promise of the Messiah, the first promise of Jesus, who would come to defeat Satan at the cross. But he himself would be crushed at the cross. And so throughout this judgment scene, we actually see uh, there is great grace and mercy. So we go on, we see Eve would have uh, children with pain and difficulty. Childbirth would be painful, but there would be children. Adam would get bread with pain and toil and sweat but there would be bread. So there is uh, judgment, but there is great mercy. And uh, then they, uh, Adam and Eve, cast off from the garden, cut off, excommunicated, cut off from access to the tree of the life and the way of guarded back by uh, angelic beings. So that's chapters uh, one through three. And then chapter four through to chapter eight. Really, we see here the increase of sin uh, and corruption on the earth, how Adam's at one act of disobedience brought death and then increasing corruption throughout the earth. They were called to fill the world and subdue it. Well, they actually filled the world, but filled the world with wickedness and darkness and violence. But also in the midst of that great darkness and wickedness, we see the preservation of the seed of the woman. We see God preserving a godly line, this line of promise. Um, so Lewis Famously, at the end of Narnia had, had the, the children going up into Narnia, further up and further in. But Genesis 4 to 11, really, it's a case of uh, further down and further out, uh, further down into iniquity and further out from uh, from Eden. They're going further east of Eden. So Cain murders his brother 
Abel and founds the city of man. And then we see that the line of Cain, this godless society built on blood sacrifice and fear. We see with Lamech, there is amazing technological achievement and, and culture, actually the sons of Cain, uh, sorry, amazing technology and achievement, but also in Lamech, violence and fear. But also alongside that, we also see the, the, the city of God, this godly line, the line of Seth. We see, we find that uh, People are calling on the name of the Lord, which implies there's public worship of the Lord, even though there is great wickedness in the, the city of man. So we have these, uh, this, this division here. And then chapter five shows the, the genealogy down from um, down to uh, no, uh, down to Noah. And we find that, that death reigned. There's this com um, continual refrain and he died and he died and he died. But there is also it traces the line of this godly line. This is the line of Seth, 10 generations from Adam to Noah, following the promise of the seed of the woman. There were those who worshipped the Lord. We have Enoch who walked before the Lord. There was this line of true worship being preserved in the midst of this increase of uh, great wickedness. And then chapter six, we come to uh, sort of it comes up towards the flood to the great increasing corruption uh, on the earth and the corruption, which then precipitates and brings about the flood. And we have this rather enigmatic passage about the sons of God marrying the daughters of men, uh, which um, could be the, is angelic beings transgressing boundaries and producing the, the Nephilim, these giant offspring which you think well that's not weird at all is it and other views that it's well this might be the Sethite uh, line that it's the sons of God and the daughters of men and we got into that that a bit but whatever it is it threatened to completely undo God's creation and it was bad enough to bring about the flood and we see actually that the satanic rebellion that we see in chapter three is increasing here and is actually at work here. There is this opposition to God's good creation to which God responds with the total destruction of all flesh in this terrible act of judgment. The flood, there is this great um, flood. But yet still we see the preservation, the preservation of this godly line in the line of Seth through Noah. Uh, we see Noah raised up. We see those who've been saved by grace through faith. Um, and Noah constructs the ark, so the ark, so the, the, the city of man had its uh, technology. Well, Noah had his technology too, but uh, his floated, his floated. And by God's grace, he uh, made this ark and survived the deluge. And along with the animals and all the clean animals and the whole world uh, that God was preserving in the ark and sin and wickedness drowned this great and uh, destroyed this great picture of uh, our salvation. And so then chapter nine, we see God's promise never again to flood the world and God setting up a civil government and establishing this, this covenant, this covenant of, of preservation and stability, undergirding uh, all the nations that would develop with this great covenant sign of the rainbow. Uh, and then chapter 10, we come to the table of nations, this list of nations which would spread out onto the earth after the flood from the uh, amongst the, sort of the ancient Near East and up in that part of the world, this division and scattering. We find uh, coming about after the, the Tower of Babel and as a result of the judgment on the Tower of Babel. And then we come to the account of Babel itself, which was this one united humanistic project, this city of man, which was built up to the heavens, this one false religion encompassing all people. Um, and God judges it and scatters it and gives rise to the 
diversity of languages and also the diversity of religious systems. We have all sorts of different brands, as it were, of polytheism in the ancient world, polytheistic city-states ruled over by these great king figures like Nimrod with their own ziggurats, this sort of uh, diversity of pagan worship. Uh, but this unity is shattered, this Babel-like unity is diversified, diversified. And instead of this one great city of man, you have these uh, lots of, as it were, little cities of man. And that sets the stage then for the outworking of God's purpose. And so at the end of chapter 11, we're still tracking through this godly line, this line of Seth, this offspring of the woman, um, which will, will tracks through then to, to Abram, who is called from Ur. Um, and we have Abram from the Ur of the Chaldeans, and, and he's then given this promise we're moving through, we're kind of finishing off our overview of 1 to 11, which then tra tracks through and moves through. And the focus of Genesis then looks to a uh, Abram, who would become Abraham. And he's given this promise, I'll bless you and through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And he's promised this seed, this offspring. Um, and so then the, the, the movement of Genesis, we, we come to look at uh, Abraham and his family, but they're in the midst of the nations. We encounter various people and he goes out to Egypt and we find other nations around about them. And he has to sort of navigate the different nations there. And so we follow then this, this line until the, we find the promise of the seed of the woman comes with Christ. And then the nations meet together and are united again at the foot of the cross we find it at Pentecost as, as the spirit is poured out and the gospel goes out and brings this unity and order without destroying the diversity of languages and cultures. This great, glorious gospel of Christ and the growth of his church. And so as we get into chapter 12 of Genesis and the rest of Genesis, after this, it starts with this universal history in 1 to 11 and then the focus on uh, God's promised Abraham. Just this one development of this one nation Israel, who would be the recipient of God's special revelation, his word of promise, and God will work in this nation ultimately to preserve and to then raise up the Messiah, who would bring that great blessing to the nations um, through whom we are, are forgiven and, and ushered into the into the very presence of God. And um, so there we go. There we have it. That's my uh, little overview of Genesis 1 to 11. We have this universal history, which sets the stage for then God's out outworking of God's promise when we come to Genesis 12. And so as we come to Genesis 12, uh, many of the themes which are developed in Genesis 1 to 11 are just then picked up in Genesis 12 and onwards. So we follow through this line of promise, this promise of this offspring really is key to the narrative as we move forward into um, Genesis 12. So that's it. I hope uh, you enjoyed the overview of the first 11 chapters. If you've uh, missed that out or want a more complete review, you are very welcome to go back to uh, the sermons, which are online, and uh, find some um, high, high-quality YouTube videos. We are just going to show at Gloucester Press that it's uh, the line of Cain that has the uh, great grasp of technology, and uh, the, the, the godly line, the line of Seth, is uh, still trying to catch up. So, uh, you know, pray for us and uh, pray that we would um, come up in the end with Noahic technology and that the Lord would uh, bring blessing to uh, our work, church planting Gloucester. Um, but there we have it, Genesis 1 to 11, and that's a wrap. You've been listening to the Sermon Podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church. You can find us out online at gloucesterpres.co.uk for more. Thank you.